And so that's the same way with dreams. The sooner it is that you figure out what the message is, the sooner that you can claim the power that it has, Mm -hmm. the energy that it has, the perspective, the skill, the ability, these are all parts of yourself that you're trying to incorporate in as a conscious being. Mm -hmm. Don't you want to become who that larger person that you really are? Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, I'm joined by J.M. DeBoard, author of Dreams 123, the best-selling dream interpretation dictionary, symbols, signs, and meanings, and the recently published Nightmares, your guide to interpreting your darkest dreams. Not only do we discuss nightmares and why we have them, but also how paying attention to your dreams can lead you to your greater self and living a more authentic life. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. Your support is truly appreciated. J.M. DeBoard, who is known as Rad Owl, the Reddit dream expert on the popular website reddit.com, is the author of Dreams 123. Remember, Interpret, and Live Your Dreams, and the Dream Interpretation Dictionary, Symbols, Signs, and Meanings. He has appeared as a featured dream expert and dream interpreter on numerous media programs, including Coast to Coast AM, Darkness Radio, and The More Show. He has touched millions of lives with his insights and answers, gaining him international acclaim for his ability to demystify dreams and their interpretation. He joins me today to discuss his latest publication, Nightmares, Your Guide to Interpreting Your Darkest Dreams. Jason, welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you, Nick. And uh, thank you for that great uh, introduction. I oh, do realize you're, you're reading it off of my bio, I realize, but uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's kind of cool to hear those things. Like, yeah, I actually did those things. The popular dream interpretation dictionary is a bestseller. Mm-hmm. So yeah. one of those things you can check off the list and say, yeah, actually I did that. And yeah. I have gained a heck of a reputation for um, teaching people uh, what their dreams mean. So I'm looking forward to digging into this with you today. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it as well. I have to admit, uh, I I did read um, your latest book, um, uh, Nightmares, uh, and enjoyed it very much. Um, But I've had a copy of Dreams 123 for several years. It is still, unfortunately, on my to-read pile. (laughs) Uh, But I've got it, and uh, it's there to be read still. Well, it has been around for uh, nine years now, and right. a lot of people have told me that it was a great introduction for them mm-hmm. into what to take them kind of from zero to at least getting an entry point into their dreams, because mm-hmm. it's a, it encompasses other things like remembering dreams. And then right. what do you do after you understand a dream? Is there some practical right. way that you can put that advice to use? So that was the book um, that I always recommend as an introduction. So you kind of jumped into the deeper end before getting to the, um, yeah, you know, the shallow. And I shouldn't say shallow, yeah. but it's yeah. the material is not as deep as the nightmares book. If you want to talk about some right. deep stuff, that nightmares yeah. book really doesn't. Yeah, yeah, and uh, looking forward to digging into that. I've got a little bit of a background uh, in this as well, uh, just based on your nightmare book. Uh, it seems that you largely take a Jungian uh, sort of approach. I, I wouldn't say exclusively, 
um, but largely Jungian. 75% Jung. Yeah. 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 He was my introduction into um, the science and the art of dream interpretation mm. because Jung really showed us the way into the dream, picked up where Freud, you know, Freud was valuable for what he taught us about the unconscious, but Jung taught us how to actually engage with it. The unconscious is what we are dialoguing with when we're dreaming. It's a dialogue between you as the egoic being that you are and the unconscious, which is a deeper being that you are. And so you're dialoguing with it. And dreams are the Jung taught us about that relationship. And so you did notice a lot of what I write is based yeah. on what I've learned from him. Yeah, yeah. And before we get into all of the details, I just thought I would ask you if you could speak a little bit about your interest in dreams and dream interpretation. What what got you started on this path? Well, Carl Jung was a good yeah. start. Um, I first encountered his ideas in somebody else's writing who ended up becoming my mentor in dream interpretation. Uh, Larry Pesavento was a clinical counselor in Cincinnati, Ohio. And he, uh, I, I started seeing him and he taught me that there really is something to my dreams, that they're full of these messages for us, that they have significance and meaning, and that there's a way of being able to approach the dream to get into that dialogue and understand it better. So that led me to Jung. And then Jung led me into that deeper dialogue with myself. And I found that dreams were the, the, the road kind of the royal road, as Freud says, uh, you know, the royal road to the unconscious is through the interpretation of dreams. And what he, he, what he means is, is that we can have this relationship with the part of ourselves that are creating dreams. And that to me was really fascinating because it opened me up to my inner world in a way that hadn't been accessible to me to that point of my life. I was in my early 20s. And like most people that age, I was very much about the extroverted world, about, you know, social. I was in college at the time and everything about me was looking outward, whereas my dreams were pulling me back into here. And that's where uh, I was able to find the deeper part of me that then led me on to a different road than I was on at the time. I mean, Nick, I was studying to be a political journalist. I studied political science and government, uh, voting behavior, things like that, uh, US government in particular. And I worked for my school newspaper uh, as a reporter and then as an editor. I was really on the path in life into journalism and particularly political journalism. And my dreams led me back into finding where I originally wanted as a teenager. I wanted to be an author who presented ideas to people that helped them in their lives and in some way bettered the world. Hmm. And so that's really what uh, got me into dream interpretation. Plus it's fascinating in itself. There's a lot of science behind it, but there's also an art to it. It's interpreting a dream is much like interpreting an image, like a painting or something, uh, even kind of surrealist, you got to look at it and kind of get into the mind of the painter. And that to me was a really fascinating process because I found that there is a rhyme and reason to dreams and the way that they speak this language of image, of metaphor. 
Um, so it, it's also very much engages a part of my mind that comes from the writing side of my mind, the poet, the metaphor, the, the sort of the, the professorly way of explaining ideas and imparting information. Yeah, so, wonderful. Yeah, and you and I have, uh, I think, a similar background here. Not only did we um, come from the same area in the nation, uh, but I also started in journalism. And it was reading uh, Carl Jung uh, and getting introduced to Carl Jung that really led me on the path to uh, religious studies, actually, um, because I wanted to better understand all this stuff going on in my head at night. That's really cool. And a lot of people find that Jung is palatable for them in a way because he took um, what are essentially spiritual and religious notions and then put it into the language hmm. of psychology. So he could strip out a lot of the language that can automatically make us um, uh, retreat into our belief systems, like hmm. soul. Hmm. You know, psyche means soul, right. but he says the psyche. And when you dig into his writing, you find that what he's really saying is, is that you're having this relationship with a deeper part of yourself that's not the physical you. And it's, a, it's attached or associated with it, but it's not it. What he's saying is soul, but he's putting it into different words. So people like us, you know, there's, there was a whole vein of theology and divinity that came out of Jung's work. But what I found, uh, especially as the moderator of the Jung subreddit um, at reddit.com, is that um, there are a lot of people who find that his work gives them uh, uh, the ability and the reason to go into territory that they might automatically block out because it's religious. Right, right, right. Yeah, and um, and it's important because all these symbols are there and <laughs> and they speak to us. And you may have answered my question, but I'm going to ask this anyway, um, because in the book you use the phrase quite frequently of the dream author. Yeah, and I wanted to ask you who is this dream author? Is it just the self, at, you know, in the Jungian sense of the great self, you know, or the soul or something else? What, who's this dream author? It's you. Mm. Uh, Carl Jung said that um, a dream is like a play, uh, mm. uh, like we could say like a movie, um, and that the entire production is being done by you. You are the writer the director, you are all of the actors on the stage or on the screen, but you are also like, you are the set director, you are the scout locator, you're the one managing the actors, you're the audience and you're the critic, you're the entire production. And it's coming to you as a co-creative process between you as this person who has been dropped into a choose your own adventure the dream creates an outline and then it evolves as you participate with the content that's being spit up by the unconscious. The unconscious is the really is the, the larger author. It's the mind that you're trying to understand as you break down the dream. You go, well, what were the thinking processes that went into this? How is it that this imagery is emerging from an interaction between me and the dream content? The unconscious mind has a reason for putting this content before you. 
Um, oftentimes it's about reprocessing memories. Mm-hmm. It's taking your daily experience of life and then um, forming it or reprocessing it into the larger memory structure of who you are. You can talk about that in a very uh, sort of um, a working of memory sort of way, uh, neurological sort of way. Yes, we can point to this and say, this is what's going on in the brain as you're dreaming. The result is, is that you're incorporating what you learn from life into who you, you know, who you are, but there is something larger that's going on in the background than just memory processing. And it's because this part of you, what you referred to as the Jungian self or the greater self um, has an agenda for you to become basically the best person that you can be by helping you to know what the blueprint was or is inside of you for that whole and complete person. The Jungian self is the central archetype. It is the very core of your being. Uh, If you go to the heart of the psyche, the center of the center, what you find is the self archetype. And that's really what you're interacting with when you're in the dream space. You've decided to jump right into the deep end, Nick, because uh, this is, these are concepts that I don't usually introduce to my students until a little bit later on, because I want them to understand first that there's a dialogue going on between them and the deeper part of them, which is the unconscious. Then we can get into asking, what is the unconscious and what part of it are you interacting with when you're in a dream? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have a tendency to just jump into the deep end, I think. So <laughs> I'll, I'll go there with you. I like um, to do that too. And I assume yeah. that viewers and listeners are used yeah. to this from you. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I hope so. I hope so. Um, uh, but speaking of the deep end and the unconscious, uh, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, I, I want to get us into the nightmares and ask what is the purpose of the nightmares in what you described in this sort of soul's journey, if you will. Uh, but before that, uh, the initial question was, are they just the, uh, are not nightmares just encounters with what Jung referred to as the shadow or is there more? Uh, definitely more, but that's definitely part of that. Um, nightmares are, are they're the volume cranked up to 11 because you're not getting the message. What I found with my personal nightmares and with ones that I've helped people with is, is they, they come in different types and you have the sudden and shocking nightmare that comes from an event. You know, you get some kind of news today. A loved one is ill or dying or dead. Um, you were laid off from your job. Your spouse is leaving you. Uh, your kid got in terrible trouble. Now that night you're processing mostly the emotions of that event. And if you go to bed with this, you know, stuff inside of you, it can very easily be turned into a nightmare. But most nightmares are about the chronic situations that we're in um, that continue to cause stress, anxiety, uh, fear, things like that. Um, And then they're also about trying to get the message to us about something in our lives that's causing dysfunction, that's causing pain, um, and that you're not getting the message because usually the dreaming mind, the unconscious, tries to speak with to us with us in ways that are a bit gentler. It'll say, here's the message. You don't get it. 
next night. Here's the message. You don't get it. Here's the message. Then it picks up again a month later and the dreams are more intense because the situation is continuing the spiral. And then it ups the ante a little bit. It increases the volume. And if you don't get it, there comes a point where the message is cranked to the max. And those can be the most terrifying nightmares. Um, usually it's because there's something that needs to change and you don't have the power or the ability or the desire to do it. You're caught in some kind of dysfunctional pattern in your life. So think of it this way, Nick, the nightmare is shock therapy. Mm. I mean, the nightmare shocks you and then it gets you going. It says, you, you know, there is something that's not right when you wake up from a really bad nightmare. And it doesn't, you, you don't have to be a genius to figure that part out. What, it, what you need to do then is to respond. And sometimes people will go and seek help for the nightmare, help to understand it. Sometimes they just intuitively know this relationship is killing me. Let's use that as an example. So you have a dream that you're getting killed. It, you know, mutilated, murdered, stabbed, you know, burnt alive, you know, it's monsters chasing you. It's terrible. And you look at it and go, well, that's, it's dramatized, but what is it? What's in my life is killing me. And you go and the, you know, right away you get the answer. It's this dysfunctional relationship that I'm in. As an example, it could be a work situation. It could be a relationship. It could be a pattern that you're in. It could be constant anxiety and fear, things like this. But you often don't need to actually interpret the nightmare. You just come up with the good question to ask yourself as you go, where did this come from inside of me and why? Answer those questions and you can often begin at least getting into what the nightmare, what is it doing and why, do you, why did you have it? Yeah, I like that. And I think it's really important for people uh, because you, what you just said, you also wrote in the book that, you know, the first thing to do is to consider the obvious meaning um, and dreams, I think, do work in that sense. And there's also a lot of puns and wordplay uh, that kind of show up in dreams as well, isn't there? Yeah, uh, dreams speak to us in the language of metaphor. The, a metaphor is something that compares two ideas that appear on their surface to be unlike each other, but there's a hidden relationship between them. Metaphors reveal that hidden relationship. A big reason why dreams use metaphor, one, is because it's a great symbolic language, and that's the symbolism is the language of the unconscious. But another reason why is because metaphors get around our ego filters, defenses, and barriers. The, the metaphor get just jumps right over them and you go, oh, I get the metaphor before the ego can come in and say, I don't want to know that. You know, the, the, the ego tries to keep certain things at a distance. No, I don't want to be aware of myself in that way. No, I don't want to have to admit that truth. But the metaphor jumps right over and says, here's the truth. And once you've made that connection between the two unlike things, then the truth gets to you. So that's a big reason why they use metaphors, the word plays, the puns. I see it all the time. The, the dream, and it's another reason why I say that there is a dream author. Mm -hmm. Authors do what? They use metaphors, word plays, puns, tricks of language, and they make a lot of analogies and comparisons and stuff like that a good author does those things. The dream author is fantastic at it. 
Hmm. Well, let's um, jump back or take a step back um, uh, for a moment and talk a little bit about nightmares in general. Um, because one of the things I was thinking of is that I think most people, when you say nightmare, they have had the experience of a nightmare. But I think that there's a bit of a complexity perhaps. So for example, I have a lot of anxiety dreams and I recognize them as anxiety dreams, but I don't necessarily refer to them as nightmares. Mm. Um, and so I was curious, what do you understand a nightmare to be and how exactly are they different than say an anxiety, or would you say that they're different than like an anxiety dream? And I think you've already answered the question as to why do we have nightmares? Um, but let's kind of focus for a moment on exactly what a nightmare is. Sure. Um, first, the emotion, or first, what makes a nightmare a nightmare is the level of emotion that it mm -hmm. brings out. There is a technical definition of it, which I find to be very interesting, is a nightmare is a bad dream that wakes you up. <laughs> How many times do you go back to sleep, you to fall back into sleep from after having a nightmare and not at least wake up for a moment from it? The nightmare is emotional enough to wake you up. And it's a next level bad dream. You have anxiety dreams, you have bad dreams, then you have nightmares. And so you can kind of look at this as being um, a spectrum. And what determines one from another is its level of emotionality. The level of emotionality will determine whether or not you wake up from it, because mm -hmm. if it's that bad, then you are very likely to wake up. So in sleep research, that's one of the, uh, you know, the things that they ch put on the checklist. Is this a nightmare? Well, did the person wake up from it? Yes. Well, that's probably a nightmare then. Um, so give me the second half of your question again the difference between the uh, nightmares and like anxiety dreams, which you just answered, it's the emotional uh, level. And then what is a nightmare? Yeah. What is a nightmare? Um, and why do we have them? But I think you've yeah. already answered that in the sense of, uh, you know, they speak to those chronic situations in our lives. Chronic and dysfunctional, painful, uncomfortable, although it's probably more than just uncomfortable yeah. if it's a nightmare. The, the, throughout my book, I teach my readers to continually question what it is that the dreaming mind had in mind mm -hmm. when it created the scenario that turned into the dream. It has a purpose, it has an agenda, and it has a way of getting across, of making its point and communicating so if you, you're always asking this of the dreaming mind, what is it, what is it, what, why? Mm -hmm. And of course, I get that question a lot from people who have nightmares and they go, well, why? I feel like this is being, I'm being subjected. I'm being tortured. Sometimes they'll even use torture as the word. My nightmares are torturing me. Why do this to me? And really you have to ask Nick, why are you doing this to yourself? The nightmare, okay, a dream, let's start off with what a, that a dream, a basic fact is that you create your dreams. Mm. Therefore, subconsciously, you must know what they mean. This is at dreams123.com is a website that I created that teaches my simple process of dream interpretation, at least get you started. 
There are three simple facts about dreams and they lead to three simple steps. And the first simple fact is, is that you create your dreams, therefore you must know what they mean. Therefore, it is a self-created experience. And if it is, it's not being beamed into you from outer space somewhere. There's not an agenda that's cooked up or hatched outside of you. And then it's, you're subjected to it because now it's being beamed into your brain when you're asleep and you're defenseless. And, you know, poor you, you're getting nailed by all this really uncomfortable stuff that you're experiencing in your dreams. No, you're doing this to yourself. You, that ownership and responsibility is the number one thing that we do to get people into the treatment of nightmares, because if they won't take responsibility for it, then you can go no further. You can understand the content of them. You can go through the techniques and steps of dream interpretation, but it's not going to do you much good until you take ownership of the dream. So that simple fact that you know what your dreams mean, you know what your nightmares mean, that you create them. It's a self-created experience. Therefore, let's get past that and start asking why you created that experience for yourself. Yeah, thank you for that. I was uh, going to ask you about that because I have a quote from the book that uh, speaks to that directly. Uh, and the Here. quote is, uh, you are following a script, but you are the co-author of it. Dreams and nightmares are co-created experiences, and you won't get far with resolving a nightmare if you don't first accept responsibility for it. Yeah, yeah. And in my experience, I in the um, prologue and epilogue of the book, I talk about a 30-year experience that I had with a nightmare that first came to me when I was a fairly young child, mm -hmm. um, and it took me 30 years to resolve it. And Part of that was in a big part of resolving it was in accepting responsibility for it, because it sure seemed to me like this was some kind of supernatural force that mm -hmm. was uh, uh, had me in its clutches and was trying to destroy me. And I learned a lot about what that nightmare nightmares it continued with different wasn't a repeating of the same exact scenario it was 30 years of this thing evolving from the original super shocking terrible nightmare that i had up to the point where i resolved the you know i i found my resolution for it but it was through taking responsibility for the fact that i created the experience for myself but it came from my unconscious mind, which takes us back to what it is about dream interpretation and dreams that can be so fascinating is, is that they're the communication lines or dialogue between you and this deeper part of yourself where this stuff is arising from. Right. Yeah. And what kind of jumps to mind, though, is that if we are the co-authors of these dreams and we already know the symbols subconsciously some, you understand yeah unconsciously um you know why is it though that sometimes it's so difficult to determine what a image in a dream actually means well um because dreams are trying to tell you what you don't already know mm. and so it's new to the ego you understand it at a deeper level in the in subconscious parts of the mind but the ego mind does not understand it. And Jung teaches us to always be asking ourselves when we're interpreting a dream, what is the dream trying to show me that I don't already know? 
Uh, Jeremy Taylor is a famous um, teacher of the Dreaming Ways, um, and he uh, also taught the same uh, basic idea when you're interpreting a dream. It's not there to tell you what you already know. It's there to tell you what you don't know. Mm. So you're trying to find this out. And you're trying to penetrate into the dark places where you don't, you're not uh, aware. Mm. You mentioned the shadow earlier, which is a Jungian concept of the dark side of the ego. And when I say dark side, I don't mean Darth Vader. I just mean it's in the dark. It means the ego is not aware of it. It's, it can't see into it. It might be aware that it's there, but it doesn't really know what it is. It's shadow. By shadow, by its definition, means that it's ill-defined. It's hard to see into. So what you're trying to do is pull this stuff into the light of day to, to put the ego awareness, the conscious awareness onto it and go, aha, okay, I see this now. It's all parts of you that are trying to become conscious, which is the long-term thing that dreams are trying to do for you. They're trying to make you a more conscious being. So yeah, I think that explains it without having to go further for now. Although if you have a follow-up, go ahead. Well, yeah, the, the what came to mind though is that it's these aspects of things that we don't know, but isn't it also sometimes things that we don't want to know? <laughs> yeah, and uh, thank you for adding that on because I like to, um, I used, you, you know, the Jung's quote, you know, dreams are trying to show us what we don't already know. And then I like to tag on to that. Plus, there's things that we don't want to know. Mm. And here's where we get into what can become nightmare territory, because the more that you resist something, mm -hmm. the more power it gains, you know, especially when it's an aspect of yourself that's trying to make its, itself aware, uh, trying to make you aware of it. Mm -hmm. And when you suppress it or repress it or deny it, don't acknowledge it. What you're doing is, is you're feeding it more power because it's becoming, it's already down in the unconscious and it is becoming more and more autonomous. It's kind of like they say, if you ignore a problem, it won't go away. It'll just get bigger. Right. It's, right. I don't want to label the things that you're dealing with in your dreams as a problem, but there's an idea of wisdom there that we all know that if you ignore something and it's not going to go away on its own, then it's just going to get more urgent. And so that's the same way with dreams. The sooner it is that you figure out what the message is, the sooner that you can claim the power that it has, mm -hmm. the energy that it has, the perspective, the skill, the ability, these are all parts of yourself that you're trying to incorporate in as a conscious being. Don't you want to become who that larger person that you really are? I think if more people understood that this, that dreams are showing them the unclaimed parts of themselves, that they would be much more interested in dream work because right. the implication of claiming what is yours for most people is a very appealing idea, especially if I tell them, Nick, that until this point in their lives, that they hadn't claimed it. And by default, that means that something deeper in them can take control or power of it. That by definition is the ego, because it's the parts of the ego that otherwise could be conscious, but are not. So if it's not conscious, it means that it's under the, the power 
of the dark side of their ego. And that is a recipe for trouble and nightmares. Right. So the nightmares essentially are leading us to wholeness and health. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, wholeness, health, personal completeness. Um, the, the, it's helping us to realize more of the blueprint to add that on to the building that is you. If you, if you think of, think of it as there is this grand mansion that is the whole you and you're building it a piece at a time. And it might just start off by having your own little living space within there, but that's, that's the place that you're going to build out from. And as you explore your dreams and get the messages and claim the parts of yourself where the lights haven't come on yet, where the structure hasn't been built. Actually, the structure is there, but there's a blueprint for it. And it's going to be up to you perhaps to build it, but it's, it's there and you can claim it. And then you can become a larger and larger person. You can go from living in a little shack to living in a mansion. And Nick, by the way, that's a very common theme in dreams. Hmm. Exploring a mansion or a house where you're turning on the lights and finding rooms that you didn't know about before. Well, the house is the thing that you build for yourself. It's the life you build. It's the person that you build physically, mentally, spiritually, socially, financially, whatever it is, that house, it's you. And it's the life, the life you are building or constructing for yourself. Right. And um, in terms of nightmare imagery, basements, um, I think, often represent the area of the unconscious, don't they? Um, they can. Yeah. Um, and it's also uh, frequently in nightmares, the basement is the place where you don't want to go. Right. It's in the basement because it's been pushed out of sight. Mm -hmm. um, it's in the basement because it's buried in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, you had some kind of traumatic event in your life and you managed to just kind of go on from it. But down in the basement are those memories. They are mm -hmm. sub- conscious, sub-basement, subconscious. The ideas relate to each other. I can give a quick example. There was a guy who had this dream that he was back in his childhood home with his sister, and he looks out the window, and there's these black clouds that are forming, and he's like, yep, there's going to be a tornado. And then the radio comes on and says, run for cover. The tornado was coming. He looks out the window and here comes the black funnel cloud, just monstrous and eating up the landscape, cutting, coming right for them. He runs down into the basement and something very mysterious happens. He, he looks over, he sees that his sister is already there and she looks at him in hysterics and says, we should have seen it coming. <laughs> now you might think, well, is it referring to the tornado? We should have seen it coming. And you go, well, maybe, but is there a deeper message here? Let's go back to the time of life when you lived in that home. Was there some event that happened that could be explained or as a metaphor, it could be compared to this tornado that just blew through your home? And it, he saw the answer right away. When I phrased it that way, it goes, yeah, my parents got divorced. Um, it wrecked our lives. And I just sort of went on with my life and didn't really, you know, handle it at the time. I didn't deal with it. I was a teenager, like a young teen. I think he said he was about 13 years old. And he just moved on with this life. 
And so we looked at that and we went, oh, so maybe the thing you should have seen coming, you and your sister, the statement comes from her in the dream. So there's some relationship, the dream is pointing to her for a reason, is it's because the signs were there. The relationship with the parents was getting bad, but the kids, you know, in the house, they didn't see it coming. And so when it hit, when the divorce hit, it just wrecked their lives. So in the, I believe that's in the book because I use that mm, a yeah, lot. Yeah, it is. And, yeah. Um, there is a entry for tornadoes, storms, things of dreams of that type. And I explain the overall, I give the picture of what is a dream of this type? You know, what is it? How is it being used? What is it really trying to say? And what are the common meanings of this type of dream? Then I get in the specifics like, well, if it's a tornado, it might be talking about something that's kind of whirly and chaotic, whereas if it, and it hits suddenly where, but if it's a hurricane, the dream chooses a hurricane as the symbol, there's a reason or reasons for it. And it's often because a hurricane is something that builds slowly, has this ominous sort of feel to it. And then when it hits, it's destructive, like a tornado, but why did the dream choose, you know, a hurricane over a tornado or vice versa? So that does come right mm -hmm. from the book. And if you mm -hmm. want to know more about that dream, then <laughs> read the book. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so speaking of the book, um, what are some of the most common images that you have, that you came across that people experience in nightmares? Is there like a top three, top five that people seem to uh, experience? Um, we could go, yeah, um, violence in many different forms, but um, often it's either um, some kind of violence committed against them. Uh, they're getting shot. They're being pursued by something. Um, they could be eaten alive. They get stabbed. Um, and I go through that, like, what does it mean to be stabbed as opposed to be shot? There's a symbolic, the, it's, the dream is expressing an idea through the use of symbolism symbolism is the use of symbols to express ideas. You run the symbols together and it expresses a larger idea. You put a symbol in a context, it expresses a larger idea. You know, if you get shot by your mom, as opposed to a stranger in a dream, there's a reason why the dream chose to put the action in the hands of mom instead of in, in, in the hands of a stranger. We want to analyze and notice these details and realize that there's a purpose for everything in the dreams and the way that they communicate their information. Um, and then if there's, if there's more that like, let's see another common type of, of dream that like from nightmares, you have monsters and creatures are very common in nightmares. Um, big storms, um, tsunamis, Woo, a lot of nightmares about tsunamis. Um, a lot of nightmares about things that we are powerless against. We could use that as a general category. Like you're powerless against Dracula. You're powerless against aliens from outer space. Um, you're powerless against demons and devils, things like that. The idea is powerlessness, something mm -hmm. that's stronger than you and that you can't fight or resist. But really, and then there's an imagery that's wrapped around that idea. So whether it's a demon or it's an alien or it's a monster, it's all just imagery that's wrapped around the idea. So those would be the most common things that I see in 
um, nightmares. Uh, themes uh, that imply like major disasters, it's the end of the world, um, an apocalypse, it's Armageddon. Um, there's a storm that's so big and bad that it just, you know, it's, it's gonna absolutely devastate when it hits or after it hits. Um, and then all those things are talked about in the book because I, when, I, when I was given this by the publisher and he said, I want you to write about how to interpret nightmares. I was like, well, I could write, you know, of, of, I could write a lot about this subject, but I need to do it in a way so that people can get to the information that they are looking for. They can read the book beginning to end and they're going to walk away at, at expert level with nightmares. There's so much information that's in there. But if you wake up from a nightmare and you're like, well, I had this terrible dream where, you know, um, there was the devil was in the dream. It was the devil. And I go, well, I want you to be able to get to that information that I can write specifically about the devil. So there is an entry in the book under supernatural bad guys. I forget exactly how I phrased it, but it's, it's one of the three major sections. And then you can look at that section and go, oh, he writes about the devil here. And then you can go to that and read it. And it's like a dictionary entry, but it's like an entire essay. It can, I can, with some subjects, I can go on for pages to really explain the nuances. This is what the devil in a dream means. This is what it can mean. This is how you interpret it. These are the little pieces of information that you're going to be able to put together so that you can read that in five or 10 or 15 minutes and then sit down and look at your dream and start immediately gaining insights, your nightmare, and immediately start gaining insights into it. Yeah. And I think that that is something I appreciated about your book. Um, I, I'm not, no offense, I know you wrote uh, a dream dictionary and I am not familiar with what you wrote or how you wrote it. Um, but often I feel that like, if you look at an image that you have a dream of these dream dictionaries, sometimes they may not apply because there is that subjective aspect to dreams. Yeah. Um, but in the nightmare book, I thought it was well done in the sense that you would address something. And sometimes in the back of my mind, I'd be like, oh, but there's this other aspect. There's this other aspect, but then you would get to it. I'm like, oh, good for you. Um, so for example, um, like uh, dragons, uh, you have a section on dragons. Yes. Right. And there's a negative aspect to dragons, but there's also, you know, some cultures see them positively. Yeah. And that it's the difference between the Western and the Eastern conceptions mm -hmm. of dragons. Um, and those, those cultural determinants, uh, determinators can have a big influence on the way that our dreams present mm -hmm. things subjectively. I like how you got that word in there so we can bring it into the conversation because everything in the dream is a dream is a subjective experience to begin with. And it's basing the meaning of the symbols mostly on your subjective understanding of them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that also comes from the culture that you grow up in. And so if you are in a Western culture, the dragon is the terrible bad guy that has to be defeated. We have the myths about rescuing the virgin from the dragon. We have the myth about the knight slaying the dragon. 
Um, we have a wonderful myth given to us by Tolkien um, mm -hmm. about, you know, Smaug and, you know, what the dragon means there and his stories. And we have a lot of other uh, myth and media and things like that that have given us definitions of dragons. But if you go to the East, their conception of a dragon tends to be a lot happier. And so it's not, it's not fodder for their nightmares as much as it is in the Western mind. In the Eastern mythology, the dragon is often this creature that's a little bit more like um, Avatar, where he has to claim the, the creature that he can ride on. And it's a big challenge, but once he can bond with the creature, then he can fly, you know, it flies him around everywhere and they act as one. Their mind, two minds become one. They, they synchronize with each other. Kind of the same idea with dragons in the Eastern mind is, is that it's something that can then be made into an ally as opposed to the Western mind where it's automatically an enemy. Right. Yeah. Well, it really jumped out at me because I had several years ago, I had a dragon dream, but my interpretation of it was very beneficial. I didn't have a negative uh, interpretation of, of the dragon. I saw it as a good message. Uh, but dragons also in this sort of Western stereotype, especially coming out of Tolkien, uh, you know, they're sitting on piles of gold often. And yeah. that has an important message to it as well, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. And I deliberately worked that into, to, into the, um, uh, what I wrote about the symbolism of dragons is that this is the thing that's guarding access to the deeper part of yourself where the true gold is. Mm -hmm. It's your personal power. The dragon itself can symbolize it's a creature of great power. Mm -hmm. And if you consider that everything in a dream somehow reflects the dreamer and is usually some aspect of themselves that's given life and form, you look at the dragon and you go, that's me? maybe it is there's a deeper person within you that has great power and when you're confronted by the dragon you're confronted by the fact that that power is not conscious in you yet mm -hmm. that's you but it's it's a challenge to you in your dream it's even a threat because you haven't claimed and assumed and made conscious that power yet and then that's why i said well you know if we can use this metaphor, the dragon sits atop a pile of gold, right. but you're not going to get to the pile of gold until you deal with the dragon. Right. That's often what those dreams and what those nightmares are really about is dealing with yourself. Right. So along these lines with the dragon, and um, I, I, I see dragon as a shadow figure of sorts, and there is, um, and I don't remember if this came directly from Jung or if it was more associated with uh, Joseph Campbell, who really just kind of popularized Jung, um, but the idea of embracing your shadow. And it seems that sometimes there is two approaches that one can take. One is to embrace that shadow, but sometimes the shadow is so distorted and inflated that it has to be slayed. Um, well, I would say integrated, but okay. confronted, mm -hmm. um, the, when, when something comes at you in a dream and then it says, I'm an enemy, mm -hmm. I'm an opponent. 
and this is life or death, then there is, there is a good reason why the dream is staking things in those terms. And psychologically, and even physically, it can be because your life really is in the balance. Mm-hmm. The, you, there is something that is going to overpower or overwhelm you or already has and it's taking form as this shadowy character in your dreams. And it's presenting an opportunity for you to look it in the eye and say, let's get it on. Mm. Now, that, that means confrontation. And it means you have to confront something in yourself that is probably autonomous in the sense that it is outside the control of the ego. And it's not just going to hand over the keys to you, Nick. Right. It's, you know, it, oh, well, you, you're here now and I'm just going to, you know, play nice. And, you know, here's the keys. I'm sorry that I wrecked the car. You know, autonomous parts of the ego have an existence of their own. And they don't want to give up that control to you unless you earn it. And they, then they were happy to be your ally. There was a story that I, I ran across in the, um, the uh, mythology behind King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And it was one of the, it was the main knight, um, uh, the Sir, I think maybe it was Lancelot. Um, he's, there were a lot, there's the main story, but there's a lot of other stories that were floating around about Arthur and they had all these side stories that happen. And one of them, Lancelot is out in the kingdom and basically patrolling the borders. And he would encounter knights who were there to stir up trouble. And it was his job as the king's knight to slay them if necessary. But what he would do is he would subdue them and then he would give them the choice. You can serve the king, in which case I'm going to send you down the road. There's the castle. Go present yourself to the king. Lay down your sword. Put yourself in service. If not, well, I got to deal with you another way. Mm. And he's usually standing there with his sword, you know, so it means you're going to lose your head. Um, But that was there's a metaphor in that, which is that if you can, if you can subdue the shadow sides of yourself, and when I say subdue, it also means earn their respect. You don't always have to violently confront them or overpower them. You can use persuasion and you can prove yourself to them so that they will become your allies. What becoming your ally means is, is that they become part of the ego structure, the conscious structure of what you are. But there was a larger message in the idea that Lancelot sent them to the king. The king is the larger thing that's happening here. It's the kingdom that he as a knight serves, and it's represented by the king and the queen. The, when he sends those knights to be of service, the, the metaphor is that you as an ego being recognize that you are part of something larger. Jung called it the greater self and that there's this axis of alignment between you and it. And when that happens, it means that you open up the, for the purpose of what you live your life for. Is it for the narrow purposes of the ego 
or is it for the larger purposes of the psyche? And remember, I said that psyche means soul, that it's a different language, uh, different way of phrasing it. So when you confront the shadow, what you really want to do is you're trying to convince it to become an integrated part of this larger whole, but it won't do it if it thinks that you are just a runaway knight who, yeah, you can overpower it because you've got such strength of will, but it's not going to like it and it's not going to serve the ego. It's going to, what it will do in that case, Nick, is it'll say, go ahead and lop my head off because you are not worth serving. Mm. But if you are in service to the kingdom, now you're worth serving. And what that means is that it's, you can bring these parts of, of you into the ego structure of what you are. They can become conscious, but they won't serve you. They won't be your ally unless you are serving something larger in return. Right. And I think this is what you um, also wrote in the book that uh, in some cultures, like nightmares are considered a calling to greatness. And it seems like this is what you just said as an example of that. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, the, the greater being that you can be, the greater things that you can do with your life. There is a, a very unusual idea that came out of my study of nightmares, but more so from my personal experience of them, is that in some cultures, when you have a nightmare, and you start and you talk, you know, you get up the next day and you say, oh, I had a nightmare. And they would say, and you lived through it. Well, you, that's showing that you have this heroic quality to you, that you can, there is something in you that that nightmare is trying to lead you to. There's a greatness to you. And it's similar to the way that we make great, we, we use adversity and danger and trial as a way that we produce our heroes. I use the example that um, special forces soldiers endure initiations. You get the, you know, 20 of these people and put them together and they go through a week of hell. And one out of those 20 makes it in the end in the special forces. Um, saints and shamans, they experience terrible ordeals sometimes of mind, body, and spirit. They often have close to death experiences. The ones who don't have what it takes will die. That happens in, in, you know, boot camp too. So when we, we create our heroes by putting them through adversity and nightmares are much the same way. They're a simulated environment for you to be able to test yourself in ways that will bring out the greater person in you. So they initiate us into the reality of our own psyches. Yeah. Yeah. The larger, the larger person that you are, and that you can be if you claim that power, but it's not just going to be handed over to you. Right. I think that dreams are teaching us the larger beings that we are, not just in terms of the psyche, but in the larger terms of what this universe created life for. Yeah. And that there, there is an initiation that has to happen in order to claim that greater power that we have as conscious beings who share in something the same, I believe that we share the same mind as what created the entire universe. Mm. Um, and that we have a co-creative power, the same as we co-create our dreams. We can also co-create reality in a way, along with the thing that created all of life itself. 
but that is a tremendous responsibility and you have to be initiated into it before you'll be given access to the power to be able to create on that level. Yeah. So there's a collective aspect to our dreams and nightmares. I mean, Jung talked about the collective unconscious, um, but there's something what you were just saying, you know, that's, it's not just individual, it's not just subjective, but there is something, I don't know, do we want to say objective? Um, Yes, we can. I mean, we do most of the time, your dreams are subjective and brought to you as a subjective reality. Um, All of that reality that you experience in a dream is subjectively based. But as um, Louise von Franz said, she was a a primary student of Carl Jung. She said that 80% of dreams are subjective and 20% are objective. Mm -hmm. That means that there is an objective psyche that has it's, it has, it knows what the truth is. It knows what reality is, even if the ego doesn't know it, even if humanity doesn't know it, it can, it knows it. Um, and so it can come to us in our dreams to integrate us into the bigger picture, to go mm-hmm. from the smaller picture of who and what you are into the bigger picture of who and what you are as part of this universe that we live in as part of this humanity that we're all part of. A lot of people don't know that humanity is that soul is actually a collective thing. It's all of humanity has created this or not created. It was a soul that kind of bonded with us to have these experiences of life. And that when you talk about soul, you're talking about the deepest inner experience of yourself. That's as subjective as it gets. But soul itself is something that's objective. It has a life of its own. And yes, we can have dreams where we are initiated into that larger reality, but most people can't handle it. It blows a fuse in their mind. (laughs) They can't handle it. We're not taught to. Nick, we used to have structures in our culture that that Mm -hmm. taught us how to be able to do these things. We had initiations into the deeper truths. We had people who could identify us from a young age if we had special gifts and abilities and help us to develop them. You get a lot of people these days who are being dropped into the deep end with no ability to be able to handle it. I see this at Reddit all the time in the Dream subreddit, the Carl Jung subreddit, and several others that I'm, I'm a participant in. People will start having things like they'll start remembering past lives. They'll start having communications with spirit guides. They'll have contact with alien intelligences. They'll have dreams that show them the future. Um, And sometimes that future is scary. Sorry, that's a trash chart. Um, I decided to sit outside for this interview to enjoy the wonderful Tucson 70 degree weather. But the, this is, we're, we're not being given the structure that we need to be able to incorporate these things in and make them conscious about ourselves. And there's, there are, these are objective things. And there are a lot of people who are being just completely blown out of the water by them and they need help. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that completely. And I think it's all to our individual and collective detriment um, that we don't have that. And, you know, I think that, you know, we find ourselves in a very precarious situation Um collectively. (laughs) Um, And the only way we can resolve it is by engaging in that inner work to manifest collectively something that's better, I think. Now, you know why I wrote the book. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now you know why I wrote my other books and why I teach yeah. the subject is I'm trying to connect people with the tools and resources that they have within themselves to be able to do this work. Yeah. Um, you, your dreams do connect you with that larger thing that call it psyche, call it soul, call it God, call it the universe. It is your connection into it. And there's nothing it doesn't already know. And it can speak to you in ways that give you answers that are your own. But I do recognize, and this is one reason why I work a lot at Reddit um, with a younger crowd, because these are the people who do not have the resources, who do not have the knowledge, um, do not know where to find it, and they need it because mm -hmm. they don't remember the world as it was before it went nuts. And I mean, it was already headed in that direction. I was a baby. I was a child of the 70s and 80s. And um, I was around to know what things were like before this sort of collective trauma that we've gone through really hit hard. Um, and that the technology to be able to entrap our minds in a video reality created by the masters of the universe out there somewhere who are controlling all this technology, you know, so I am able to separate myself from it and see it for what it is. But if you grew up within the matrix, you'll never know that you're in the matrix. Right. So in a way, I'm Morpheus yeah. trying to wake people up, but I've got to do it in a way that's subtle. I can't beat them over the head with it. So what I do is I give them the tools and knowledge right. to get them into their dreams. And then I let their dreams do the work. Right, right. No, I appreciate that. We're about the same age. So I remember what it used to be like. And um, I think at this point, the approach is we just have to recognize and embrace that we are now in the position of elders <laughs> in our culture. Um, we're the mentors. Yeah. yeah. My, um, my uh, mentor, Larry Pesavento, is now an elder. He's in his 70s, and he's transitioning into that role. And when I first started working with him, he told him the day would come when I would be the mentor, because mm -hmm. that's what he was to me yeah, yeah. 25 years ago when we first, 30 years ago, when we first started working together. And he, um, I found that that was exactly true, that I've grown into this role of mentor, mm -hmm. and one of these days I'll be an elder. Right, and I'm okay with that. I mean, I look yeah. at, I can see in the reflection, I can see all the gray. I haven't shaved in a while. I usually bust this down a little bit because I start looking like Santa Claus. And this is kind of scary to the, you know, the, the teenager 20 something that I once was who looked at people who were gray and was like, dude, you're old, you know, but I'm, I'm much better with that transition because I've found the inner life that I can connect with and rely on so that when, as I do get older and play different roles, I can give up the other roles more easily. I can give up, you know, some of the childish ways and I can give up those less mature ways yeah. and assume this role. So yeah, yeah. for anyone who doesn't know dreams.reddit.com um, it's referred to as r slash dreams, um, but dreams.reddit.com takes you directly there. That is the subreddit. It's the largest, most popular place online to share dreams by far in the, in the world, in all the online universe. It is the largest that I know of. I'll just say it, it's mostly in English. Um, and 
um, I've been there since 2009, and I've been leading that community for almost a decade now. And it's mostly younger people, but it runs the gamut. We have 200,000 subscribers uh, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, and um, there's, if you're looking for a place to go where you can start your journey, then I suggest that you go there. Uh, if you want to share your dreams and then also uh, where we more than welcome people who are already knowledgeable um, because it's a place where you can connect with your knowledge with the people who need it. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. I, I know that we are out of time. Um, and the last question I wanted to ask was what's next for you. And then uh, where is the best place for people to go to find out more about you and your work? We've got the, that was dreams.reddit.com. Is there another website? Keep up with me at jmdebord.com. So j-m-d-e-b-o-r-d.com. Um, that personal website is where I put up a lot of the information related to what's coming. Um, I have something really big coming, Nick. Um, I, for years now, I've been writing two books that are uh, college course book length. And um, one of them is my complete system of dream interpretation. And the other one is a course book for dream workers. People who want to do what I do, I can teach them how to do it. There's a lot of training and education that's involved. But if you go to dreams123.com, you'll see that the start of it is really easy. Um, so I have those coming. And at dreamschool.net, I've been creating, right now it's just recorded video, but eventually there are going to be live classes and seminars where I'm going to teach people what I know and have an opportunity to interact with them live. So that's, that's coming and it's been brewing for a while. And I had a dream the other night that said, clear out your business because there's something really big coming your way. Mm -hmm. And it might be that it might be a complete change in my life in a way that, you know, but I started on my to-do list. I were all these dangling things that said, I need to do this, 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 this. So I've been knocking them out ever since I had that dream because mm -hmm it seemed to be pretty clear that it's clear out the old so that the new can come in. So it's oh, big and it's coming. Yeah. Oh, well, I hope well, you'll be part of it. You sure, seem to know sure. a lot about the subject and I can tell that there's a deep interest from you and particularly oh, yeah. in the Jungian side of it. But oh, yeah. 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 My, my friends have a tendency to come to me, uh, sometimes, uh, with their dreams, you know, what the heck was that? And, uh, I used to work with a woman that she had a different approach, uh, to dream interpretations, but we would tag team sometimes, uh, with the people we worked with, they would just like call, uh, her name was Jean, uh, she and I into their office. Like, Hey, we had this dream. Why do you make of it? Uh, and it was really nice to be able to look at these from, two different approaches. Um, and we'd play off of each other and find hidden meetings, you know? Um, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, Which I tried to do in my book yeah. was teach not just the yeah. language of symbolism and here's Carl yeah. Jung and what he said. I, I give a bunch of different ways that you sure. can approach into the dream, including just stopping and listening to what you're feeling, yeah. what your body is telling you, um, what your spirit is telling you. Um, and you, I want to just leave you on this note is when uh, the person, the dream interpreter is a job that goes back to the very origins of culture and society, dream interpreters were one of the first specialized jobs that anyone had. Um, so it goes back many thousands of years and they are considered to be the special ambassadors between heaven and earth. Mm. They, in, in many cultures, 
dream interpreters were above their kings and queens in importance mm -hmm. and esteem. And the reason why is because they are the ones who lead people. They take them down the road that's been created by their dream, but they need someone to hold their hand to be able to cross yeah. over the bridge. Yeah. So um, consider that anybody out yeah. there yeah. as you think about, hey, could, should I buy this guy's book? <laughs> well, yeah, buy the guy's book, but it, there's a larger reason for it. And it could be because you, it'll train you to be one of those ambassadors that help other people with their dreams particularly the most important ones to understand, which are the yeah. ones that are being really shouted at us, which are our nightmares. Right, right. For sure. For sure. Well, Jason, thank you so much for your time and for sharing your wisdom. And um, I'll, I'll put a link or links for some of these websites and the book uh, Nightmares uh, in the show notes in the video descriptions. Great. I thank you for having me on your show. Thank you for reading the book so that oh, of you, could, and you could ask insightful questions. And um, that part, that's very much appreciated. Um, it really helps me as an interviewee to know that the host is very familiar with my work and my material to the extent that they can ask good questions. You ask great. Oh, well, so oh, well thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. I always make it a point to read the books of my guests. I, I know a lot of podcasters don't do that. And that boggles my mind. <laughs> like, uh, you know. By the way, the dreams that shape us um, is the podcast that I did with my partner. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Steve Ernenwine. Um, he creates music. Sorry. There's a fly. Okay. Um, the dreams that shape us. And we're now in season two, we probably have about 25 or 30 episodes out. And we explore these really fascinating, life-shaping, life-changing dreams that people have. We interview them and then uh, get into, you know, the nuts and bolts and ins and outs of their story and their dreams. So okay. um, uh, listeners who like podcasts, there's one more for you to check <laughs> yeah, out. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. I forgot to put that into uh, your bio at the beginning. Um, and that's a wrap on episode 61 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you're a part of my YouTube audience or if you view this on Spotify. Now, before anything else, I'd like to give a special shout out to David Wood for being the first person to make a donation to Rebel Spirit Radio. David, your gift was so very much appreciated and as promised, you have my undying gratitude. For anyone else who would like to contribute to this podcast, I have officially launched a Patreon. There are currently four levels of membership, Seeker, Sage, Adept, and Guru. Uh, some of the perks available include early access to videos, shoutouts to members, a members-only Facebook page, access to the Rebel Spirit Radio Discourse server, a monthly book club, and the opportunity to join me and some special guests for a monthly cocktail apocalypse. Happy hour at the end of the world. You can find the link for the Patreon in the show notes or video description. And of course, if you'd still like to make a one-time donation, you can still do so via PayPal. I'd also like to remind everyone about the first Rebel Spirit Radio live stream, uh, which is scheduled for Sunday, December 4th at 2 p.m. Pacific Time. Dr. Sharon Kogan will be returning to talk more about dreams, and she will also interpret dreams for some of the live stream audience. Be sure to follow Rebel Spirit Radio on Facebook and or sign up for the newsletter at rebelspiritradio.com for more information on the live stream with Sharon, as well as all future live events. If you enjoyed this podcast, 
please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. It only takes a second, and your five-star ratings really do help, especially if you listen on Apple. If you have a moment to spare, please consider posting a short but positive review. And please subscribe. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the channel. Make sure you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.